All right, we're in Revelation chapter 19. Let's get into the word. Now, before we start reading the scripture this morning, uh, or tonight, <laughs> I don't even know when it is. Let me, let me go ahead and pray, and then we're going we're gonna to do a summation real fast and talk about a couple things. Because we're almost there. We're almost to the end of Revelation. This is really exciting. The, the best part of Revelation is about to happen. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the promises of hope. Lord, that you have not forsaken us. You will not forget us. And Lord, you will make all things right and you will restore all things. So we, we long for that, Lord. We say open up the heavens, Lord Jesus, come. And uh, we pray now you'd open up your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let me give you a summation real fast. Uh, David put together this slide for me. It's, it's a really good kind of picture slide. Go to the next slide. Yep. No, it's the next one. One back. <laughs> what happened to my slides? It stopped. It just said no. <laughs> and there it is. So, okay. <laughs> we found the slide. So David put this together and, um, well, the white might be a little hard to read right now. But so if you remember the book of Revelation, let's go to chapter, uh, flip over to chapter 1 real fast. And I want you to look at one thing. Uh, I, I want to just kind of give a big summation of the book if you're a little lost. Chapter 1 and verse 19, if you remember, John is told, commanded this by Jesus. And this is what it says, write therefore the things that you have seen. Those that are and those that are to take place. The things that he'd seen was chapter 1 up to that, that verse uh, in verse 20. Then the things that are, that goes through ver cha chapter 3, the letters to the seven churches. And then the things that are to take place are chapter 4 to the end. Now, as we've been in Revelation, we've, we've hit a lot of judgments. We've seen judgment, judgment, judgment. We've been talking about the fall of Babylon. Uh, and we talked about two systems of Babylon. Ecclesiastical Babylon, which was the world religion. And that the beast and the Antichrist, or the Antichrist, does away with that world religion and takes over worship of himself. And then we talked about political Babylon, which is destroyed in um, chapter 18. But here's a, a section of the judgment. So John's caught up to heaven in chapter 4, and now he's in the things that are to take place. And from chapter 4 on, in chapter 5, we find that there's a scroll, and there's seals to be opened up. And that's the seven seal judgments. With each seal that is opened up, there's a judgment poured out on the earth during the tribulation period. Remember, the tribulation period is that seven-year period prior to Jesus Christ's return. Prepping the earth for Jesus Christ's reign and return and we'll get to in chapter 20, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. So as, as uh, the seven seals were opened, that ushered in seven trumpets. On the seventh seal, we went into seven trumpets. And there were seven trumpet judgments. Then after the seven trumpets, we had a final seven judgments, which were the seven bowl judgments. Now within all these things, we've had earthquakes, meteor shower, hailstones, fire. We've had scorching heat. We've had bugs, demons. We've had uh, just all sorts of plagues. I mean, it's been a, a terrible time for those who are dwelling on the earth during the tribulation period, which again is why I encourage you, know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, know him and be ready for his rapture and, and it's the way out. It's the better way. So uh, this will kind of this kind of sums up. It makes it a little bit easier to see the whole book of Revelation. Is that okay? There's three sets of judgments. I get it. And then Jesus comes. So it's pretty simple. 
letters to the churches, three sets of judgments, Jesus comes. That's, that's the whole uh, book of Revelation kind of summarized. Now, what is the book of Revelation about? It's about Jesus Christ, make no mistake. Now, before we read chapter 19, if you remember, we, we were looking at Babylon, the commercial system. And, and a part of us, it's hard to, uh, it's hard for us to believe that this is actually, some of this stuff is possible when we read the book of Revelation. But like I've said to you before, that if God says it will happen, it will happen. I'm sure it was hard for the Jews to believe certain things would happen. Certainly it was hard for the church during the time in which Israel disappeared off the map to believe that there was going to be a literal national Israel again. And, of course, 1948, bam, Israel happens again. So if God says something will happen, it will happen. And uh, when we look at commercial Babylon, we're like, how does the world come to this place where there is one world government, where the, the, everybody's kind of bending to the will of corporation and finances. And something from the pages of the news this week that is so disturbing to me, and it should be disturbing to you as American citizens, I think, and I just want to bring it up to you, not as this is revelation fulfilled, but this is, these are tipping point things. These are things that step us into to a, a world government that can happen like in Revelation. In, in the state of Georgia... The legislation passed a a Freedom of Religion Act bill. And what this act stated was that if you're a pastor or of a certain faith and you decide you don't want to participate in a same-sex marriage, you shouldn't be forced to. You should have freedom to, to go into your moral convictions and say, no, I'm sorry, I can't provide flowers for your, your, your wedding because morally I don't agree with it, I don't believe in it. So I'm sorry, I can't do that. Uh, and we've seen this happen in the state of New Mexico. We saw a photographer who lost her whole business and her livelihood and was told that because she was discriminating, which she just said, I, I don't want to do pictures for a same-sex wedding. Uh, we saw in the state of Washington, uh, Mrs. Stutzman is still going through that court battle where the attorney general is taking, going after all of her personal assets and personal liabilities, completely lost her business because she said, I can't do flowers for your wedding to a same-sex marriage couple. We saw a bakery have to deal with this. And we've been seeing this persecution happen among those who are Christian and say, I cannot participate in this. I, I have nothing against you, but... Here, I'll even give you recommendations, but I can't do this. So Georgia decided they would pass this Freedom of Religion Act, the state legislature. And um, something very interesting happened. And I think it's something that you and I need to be very fearful of and very aware of. Disney, the NFL, Coca-Cola, Time Warner came in and they strong-armed the governor. All four of those major corporations came in and said, if you let this bill pass, we will pull all of our business out of your state. The governor ended up vetoing the bill. When do we let corporations tell us how we can morally act? Since when did the corporation, the money, tell us what is right and wrong? This is a challenge for us as Christians. And when we read the book of Revelation, we see these things happening and we see the persecution of Christians. We, we almost, from an American standpoint, we say, how can this actually be? How can it come about? But sure enough, there it is. 
someone says, no, we, don't want, we want to allow people to have religious freedom, because it is part of our First Amendment, is it not? It is part of what our country is founded on, the freedom of religion. Yet here we have corporations saying, no, you don't have that freedom. Th- four major corporations said, we're pulling our stuff. So therefore, a governor moves to keep these things. And people lose their freedom. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Francis Schaeffer's book, How Should We Now Live? How Shall We Then Live? I, How Shall We Then Live? It's a funny title. He... he uh, he states in that book, what is it, Joe? How Then Shall We Live, thanks. It's a funny title, I can never remember it. I, Francis Schaefer. He states in that book that in these last times, the way America is going to fall, the way America is going to lose its freedom, is by people not willing to stand for freedom, but trading their personal peace and their affluence, making sure their pocketbook still has money in it, Because they're unwilling to stand for freedom. Christians, we have to really consider these things. And I'm not going to tell you how to vote or who to vote for. I think this election is very strange and the most interesting thing I've ever seen in my lifetime. I haven't lived that long. But I think we need to be really aware and people of prayer. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, And and you can see these tipping points of how corporations and Babylon... Is, is moving within this world. All right, enough of that. Revelation 19. Here we go. Yeah, yes, the hallelujah chorus in Revelation. Here it goes. You guys ready for this? So you guys know Handel's Messiah, right? The hallelujah chorus. I'm not going to sing it for you. All right. <laughs> Last week, before we, we're going to be Revelation 19. Last week, uh, my, you know, my voice was terrible. And uh, turns out my mic was in their in-ear monitors in the praise team. So I'm trying to sing hallelujah. Oh, I think I told you this last week. And it's just awful. And they're all pulling their earpieces out <laughs> of here. So. All right. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. The word hallelujah is an interesting word because hallelujah is never translated. It's always hallelujah. No matter what country you go into, no matter what language, hallelujah is hallelujah. And it only occurs four times in the New Testament. And here they are. This is the four times it occurs in the New Testament, the word hallelujah. What does it mean? Well, literally it means if we were to, to translate it right, it means praise the Lord. Uh, Hallel, to lift up. Uh, Jah, God, uh, Yahweh, lift up Yahweh. Praise the Lord. That's what it means. Praise the Lord. And, and so four times in the New Testament this word is used. And here it is right before Jesus returns to this earth. Right after his judgments of Babylon, of the great prostitute, of the Antichrist. And, well, we're actually going to see that that judgment still comes of the, of the Antichrist. 
But right after his judgments of Babylon, God's judgment on Babylon, and remember we're not talking about just a literal place Babylon, we're talking about the political, economic, religious centers of, of the earth. Um, and so we see this word hallelujah show up. And you know what, I'll tell you right now, when you say hallelujah, when you say praise the Lord, you can't help but think of God's justice. You can't think about, about, help but think about his love and his righteousness and his truth. Listen, God is good. In fact, God is the good, okay? Everything, everything that is good comes from him. God does not submit to the good. Goodness comes from God. And everything good, all good attributes, all great making properties are of God. So when we say praise the Lord, it's because he's worthy. Because all those things in life that you guys love and cherish, all those values that you think are worthy, what values do I mean? Well, honesty, trustworthiness, loving kindness, all those things that we say are right to love people, to love our neighbor, to treat people equal, equally, equality, all those things come from God. And, and so when we say, hallelujah, Lord, you are right, you are good, praise you. Notice that in the, the verse here in 1, it says, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Now, this is interesting because in the actual Greek, there's the definite article right before these. So it's ha, salvation, ha, glory, and ha, power. And when I say ha, it's not H-A, it's, it's actually like an omicron with a little backwards apostrophe. And so what it is, is it's the salvation, the glory, and the power belong to our God. I, the reason why I wanted to point this out to you is because there is only one salvation. There is only one glory. And there is only one true power. And that's God. That's it. I was with uh, Tim, the drummer tonight, uh, the, earlier this week at uh, we're a sound store. We were buying sound equipment. And uh, we're trying to figure out how to mount new speakers and stuff in the fellowship hall and do this. And uh, Tim was kind of helping me navigate the waters of sound. And uh, I, uh, I said, well, maybe we can hang it this way and this way. And Tim, Tim made a comment. He's like, well, there's always more, way, more, more ways than one to do anything. I was like, Ex except for Jesus. He's, he's the only way. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's true. <laughs> the, the guy behind the counter kind of like looked and laughed. You know? but, but he is the salvation. If you want salvation, there's only one place you can find it. And you might say, well, gosh, isn't, isn't that kind of limited? Is, isn't, isn't that kind of messed up to make only one way for salvation? Well, I don't really think it is because that's really the way truth works. There's one truth. That means there's one way. You, I mean, yeah, I'd love, I'd love it if I could pour whatever I wanted into the tank of my car. Man, I would be filling it with water every day because water is cheaper than gas. And I'd be driving it and I'd be like, yeah, this is great. But it won't work. The truth is my car runs on gasoline. The truth is that there is one way that we can be forgiven of our sin. That we can have a clean conscience before God. That we can be made new. That we can have the power of the resurrection. And it's only through Jesus Christ. Now, who does that exclude? No one. Do you realize that? When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father except through me, he's not excluding anybody in the whole world. In fact, the Bible goes at great lengths to tell you that for God so loved the world, there's no one excluded. 
well, what about the guy in the African tribe that's never heard? Listen, he's not excluded. Get out there and tell him. Listen, he's not excluded. And, and I know that my God is a powerful God, and my God will make sure that people can know his truth. Because I've heard enough stories, I, and you guys have seen Apollos himself here talking about how he came to Christ. The Lord, the, an angel appeared to him and told him what to do. God can make people know his truth. He's not limited to anybody. He wants everyone to know, okay? He's not excluding anybody. Well, what it is is we exclude ourselves. We say, I reject it. We say, I want another way or another God. We say, I want the God made in my image or I want it my way. But see, he's the one with the power and the glory and the salvation. If he's the only way, you can want your way all you want, but your way is not going to work. So I do this all the time with my kids. My kids have an issue with something, and, they, and Lucy especially wants to do it her way. And, and Lucy's also a heretic, so don't take lessons from her. <laughs> Four-year-old heretic, that's what she is. No, anyway. But Lucy always wants to do something her way, and I tell her, like, it's not going to work, honey. No, it'll work. It's not going to work. And I go through this, and that's how we kind of are with God sometimes. God, I want it my way. It's not going to work. So salvation, the salvation, the glory, and the power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute. You know, I'm, I'm happy to know that judgments are coming to an end here because I'm like, oh, exhausted with all those judgments that we saw. But, but how much do we long for that, judgments that are true and just? Uh, I talked to my brother-in-law who's a lawyer, and I said, well, you know, uh, actually I was thinking about after school ministry trying to do law just for fun for some reason. I don't know why. And uh, Joe's doing law right now. And uh, he, he told me, he's like, don't do law. I was like, well, I just think it would be neat, and it would be a neat thing to learn about for, for thing. Uh, you know, it would be neat to understand how law works and justice. And he's like, listen, law is not about justice. It's about the interpretation." Of the law. And, and what I found is many lawyers are really jaded because they find out that law is not about justice in our country. And oh, how we long for justice. We want our case to be heard. We, we want those who have wronged us to be made right. We, we, want, we want the thief to no longer steal. We, we want justice, especially when things are taken. When people are abused, we want to see that there is justice for the abused, the down the oppressed, the downtrodden. We long for those things. We want justice. And then we see cases and courts and things and the way they go and you go, how is that just? How is it just that the First Amendment is being trampled upon? How is it just that I don't have freedom for my religion? How is it just that as a pastor, someday I very much will probably end up in jail? I told my wife that. I was like, I'm probably going to end up in jail just so you know. Why? Because I'll refuse to do some marriage. Is that justice? It would be kind of cool. You guys would be like, yes. We'll get a new preacher. No. <laughs> but we want justice. And there's so many times where we see injustice happen that it makes us cry out and to know that God, when he judges, he's true and just. And here's the thing about God's character. Because God, God is 
is infinite in all of his attributes. That means he is infinitely true and he is infinitely just. So is God limited in what he can and cannot do? Absolutely. You're like, <gasps> no, listen, I'm not taking this from Lucy. This is, this is from the Bible. God cannot lie. He cannot. He will always be true. God cannot be unjust. He will always give justice. And you say, well, what about the Old Testament? You know, there was a lot of people that got killed and slaughtered. Well, listen, we've been reading Revelation. There's a lot more people that died in Revelation, right? But, but that is God's justice. He's the author of life. He is the creator of it. He is also the judge. And if he chooses to judge, and listen, those people in the Old Testament, they're not all saints there. They're not all good people. Do you know that Israel began starting to follow uh, Molech? And part of the deal was they would sacrifice their children in the fires, their unwanted children. They were throwing their children. And God said, hey, listen, you need to get all these people out of the land. Their sin has come up to me. I am done bearing with it. He sends Israel in to wipe out the people of the land as judgment. Israel doesn't do it like they're supposed to. They let some of the people stay. And sure enough, they start adopting their practices, their foreign gods. They start sacrificing their children into the fires. Wow, you're like, that sounds really harsh, you know. Well, yeah, listen, if you want a party and you have a baby, there's nothing that kills a party like a baby. I'm telling you, anybody's had a baby, you're like, I can't have a lot of fun with a baby because they cry. I got to feed them. I got to, Corey's world has turned upside down recently. You know, the Phillips over there were number two, so they're just kind of used to it. And they're like, okay, we get it. But you can't have a lot of fun, so what do you do? Well, get rid of the baby. That makes sense. And what about an abortion? Well, there were no abortions back in Israel's day. So the better thing to do is is post-birth abortion. You throw it in the fire. Oh, God, we're worshiping you. Right? You're like, that sounds awful, Dave. Yeah, it is awful. It's murder. So God brings judgment because he is just. He won't ever judge. Abraham pleaded with, for Sodom and Gomorrah, Lord, if there is even ten righteous, would, would you spare it? Would you, would you spare the cities of the plains if there were ten righteous? And God said, yeah, I would spare it. In fact, the couple that were righteous and even questionable righteous, but because the Bible says that they are righteous, I'm going to say that they were righteous. The questionable ones... God sent angels in to get out before he judged. God is just. He doesn't judge anybody by accident. There's no collateral damage in God's plan. He is just and true. And he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Remember how many throughout this book of Revelation that the great prostitute Babylon has killed and murdered of God's saints, and he hasn't forgot a single one. Remember, they were under the throne crying out, how long, O Lord, until you judge? How long, O Lord, until you avenge us? They were crying out for justice. The prayers of the saints are like incense around the Lord. And, you know, incense, I'm not a fan of incense for the most part, but God is, so I'll be okay with it. Um, But when you see incense in a room, you know, you see the smoke going up and and when the Bible gives us this illustration that the prayers of the saints are like incense before the throne of God, you just imagine all these prayers just circling around God. All the cries for justice, all the cries for mercy, all the cries around God, not a one forgotten or, or mis, 
misplaced. God knows them all, and now is the time. So once more they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's, um, there's a valley in Israel where all the waste and the dump would go. And, and the Greek interprets the word hell as Gehenna. And, and this valley was where they would just constantly burn the trash and the smoke. And there was just smoke always going up. And so there's a kind of an image here of Gehenna uh, where the smoke is just kind of constantly going up. And you're like, yep, that's the judgment right there. That's God judging and hallelujah. And it's kind of weird for us to see judgment and go hallelujah. But listen, when God judges, that's exactly what we'll be doing. We'll be praising him. Notice the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down, worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying amen. Uh, we saw them in chapter 4, the 24 elders and the, the living creatures, the four living creatures. Remember the four living creatures were flying around the throne. And then we had the 24 elders, the church represented by the church uh, there, uh, and they're saying amen, hallelujah. The word amen, just to remind you, means uh, so let it be or even so. So when we say, when we pray and we say amen, it means yes, Lord, I agree, let it be, even so. So just to give you some interpretation to your Christianese, now, now you know, it means I'm in agreement, God. I, I believe in this. So you don't have to say to God, I'm in agreement, you just have to say amen and he gets it. He knows. So, in fact, he knows our heart, so you don't even have to say. But that's what amen means. And uh, just to give you a note, if you want to say amen in Greek, I'll teach you it right now. You guys ready? Amen. There it is. So, <laughs> now you guys know some Greek. Go forth. All right. From the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Do you need a reason to praise God? Well, here it is. All you his servants, all you who fear him, small and great, you praise him. Praise our God. There's, there's, your, there's your encouragement. Do this. Praise God because he is God. He is worthy. I, uh, I really want to encourage you to think about that word God more this week and what it means. I've already talked to you about the whole idea that God means that he is infinite, that all the good, great making properties are in him in the infinite way. And uh, the reason why I saw a preview for a movie, and, and it's a scary movie coming out. I, I, I don't care. About, my wife, when we go to movies and there's a scary movie that comes up, she does this. <laughs> she she <laughs> closes her eyes and plugs her ears. She just cannot handle those movies. And, and um, I, <laughs> oh, no. So, so, <laughs> so uh, no, but uh, the, uh, this movie came on and the tagline of the movie is God can't help you. These demons are going to be greater than God. And listen, there's nothing greater than our God. Clearly, that movie has no idea what the word God means. Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. All right, now, verse, verse 6, let's go there. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude... Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe, uh, granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the righteous deeds of the saints. 
Verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant. With you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now if you remember some of the weeks ago, and if you don't remember or you weren't here, I'm, I'm sorry. But uh, I'll summarize it right now. We talked about the importance of, of what it means to be betrothed to Christ or the church being referred to as the bride of Christ. And, and this illustration, this image goes all throughout the Old Testament. And, uh, Israel is often referred to as the wife of God. And um, whenever she goes after other gods, it's referred to as adultery. And in the New Testament, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And one of the illustrations that God constantly gives us is marriage for the relationship between the church and, and Jesus. In fact, so much so that in, in Ephesians 5, when we have that passage about marriage, Paul says, I reveal to you a mystery. I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ in the church. And we're like, wait, you've been talking about marriage. And, and it really to, to the point where we can see that God has given us the marriage relationship for you and I to understand Christ and the church more. And you're like, wow, we've botched this one up. We've messed this up. Praise God, God's perfect, and he's not going to divorce us. Okay, he's not going to leave us. He's not going to have an affair on us. No, he's the faithful and true one. We'll see that in just a minute. But part of the marriage is in in in. Jesus' day, you would become betrothed. You would become engaged. And, and then the, the bridegroom would, would, once you're engaged, you, this, is, this is the deal. The only thing that hasn't happened is the, the celebration feast and the, you know, the other part, the, the official part. The, you know, okay. So the consummation of the marriage. Those are the only parts that haven't happened yet. So, the bridegroom goes off, he goes to build the place, he goes to construct the house and whatnot. And it's kind of a big kind of fun thing where it's like you got to wait for the bridegroom to come. And Jesus gives a whole illustration about this with the ten virgins and the lamps waiting for the bridegroom to come. And the bridegroom would come in the middle of the night, uh, kind of unexpected. All this shouting in the city would break out. And, and the bridegroom comes and, and the, the bridesmaids would welcome him in and they would... They would get the bride, they'd take them over to the wedding party and they'd have this great party and celebration and it's time and they would celebrate and they would go and, and uh, after the celebration and become husband and wife officially. And, and it's a little different from our celebrations, right, because we say vows publicly and do things like that. But this was, this was the way the wedding betrothal worked. And, and Paul, we talked about in Corinthians, he talks about how he longs for the Corinthians to present them pure and spotless as basically the groomsmen to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul is stepping in as the groomsmen saying, i got to keep the bride pure and spotless until the groom comes, until Jesus comes back. And so we know Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come back for you. What's he talking about? Marriage. He's going to prepare what? The house, the wedding place. And what's he going to do? He's going to come back for us and he's going to bring us here and we're going to have a big celebration. It's going to be an awesome, awesome celebration of our betrothal to Jesus Christ. So here we see 
it's time. What is it? Well, first we have the great uh, voice of a great multitude. I believe we're a part of this multitude. A roar of many waters, cheering. Uh, I, I kind of think of, when you think about this, you think about, I was at, uh, one time I was at I- Iwasu Falls. Actually, I've been there a couple times. I've been fortunate enough to be there a couple times. And Iwasu Falls is a huge area of waterfalls on the Argentinian, Paraguayan, Brazilian border. And uh, one of the largest electro, hydroelectric plants is there. And uh, it powers those three countries. And uh, on the, the Brazilian side, if you ever have a chance to go there, it's kind of neat. You get a nice panoramic. And it's beautiful. It's like, wow, look at waterfalls everywhere you go. There are butterflies everywhere. It was really cool. But um, when we went on the Brazilian side, we found out that we, I kind of screwed up because Brazilians, you have to pay for a visa. And we didn't pay. We just went across on a bus. And I had all these youth kids. And so then we had to smuggle our people back across the border into Paraguay. So I am a coyote. Um, <laughs> we all got back safely. Uh, and so, so from then on, we decided when we go down to Paraguay and work, we'd go to the Argentinian side because you don't need visas for that. And it was more affordable. So we went to the Argentinian side. And I kind of was like, oh, it's not going to be as pretty as the Brazilian side. Well, the Argentinian side, you don't see the panoramic, but you see the power. Man, there's the, the, the big waterfall. You stand over it. They have these bridges. And it's terrifying. The power of these giant waterfalls. It, it's called the devil's throat. Okay. And they didn't name it just because. I mean, it's, it's like this water just going down. And you're like standing over this waterfall. Just, oh, my goodness. And the roar. To, to talk, we have to yell back and forth. And I have different pictures from youth group mission trips. And we're all like sprayed and trying to smile. And like, you know, just all the water and the wind coming at us. It's just incredible. The roar of those waters. The sound. And that's what it's going to be like on that day. The many waters, peals of thunder, crying out. You guys like the 4th of July? I do. Love a good explosion. There's always an excuse for a good explosion, right? Man, the peals of thunders. It's a big celebration. And guess why? Because it's time for the marriage of the Lamb. It's time for his bride to be united. Now, this is why this is important. The Old Testament deals with the Hebrews. Okay? Now, we want to see the Genesis to Revelation all has one story. Okay? It's God's redemption through Jesus Christ. Okay? His victory over death. It starts in the garden, and, and it's, well, we're going to end with the new heavens and the new earth in 21. But we see that God works with different people at different times, okay? In the Old Testament, we see God calls out Abraham. And Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you, and all nations on earth are going to be blessed through you. And then Abraham has a son, Jacob, and Jacob gets a new name, Israel. Israel, Jacob, has 12 sons, and these become the 12 tribes of Israel. These God calls out of Exodus in the, or Egypt in the book of Exodus and he brings them to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, a promise, a contract with your people, Israel. Okay, so we went from Abraham to Israel. And in this covenant it said that here's the law, if you do all that I say in this law and you obey it, I'll bless you. And the people of Israel said, we'll do it. And guess what they did? They didn't do it. And then cursings came and so on. But God kept his promise to Abraham, that covenant that I'm going to bless you and all nations on earth will be blessed through you because it was prior to the covenant with Israel. Okay? 
And so we still have that covenant in play with Abraham all the way through, that through Israel, through, through Abraham's line, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, will come. And so Jesus does come. And Jesus creates a new covenant, the new covenant of my blood poured out for you. Okay, he sets apart a new covenant with a new people called his church. It's no longer just Israel now. It's a new covenant. But wait a minute, hold on. We have the majority of this Old Testament with prophecies. I mean, there's many prophecies about Christ. There's some very few prophecies about the, the Gentiles and the nations being pulled in, being us, the church. But most of them are prophecies filled with promises to Israel, to Jacob and to his 12 sons. I mean, some of those promises can come over to us. Or at least we can say that they can be applied to us. But, but, but the actual promises, the promises of a Messiah coming and conquering. The, in Isaiah, Zechariah 14, 3 through 4, it says, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations. And when he fights on a day of battle, on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. This promises to Israel that their Messiah will come and fight for them and kick everybody out of Jerusalem who's evil. Okay? That he's going to split the Mount of Olives. And in, in Matthew 24, we also have many prophecies. For his lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there are the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. And the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven and with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. And, and so we've, we've talked about the rapture of the church, the secret taking of the church. But now we have a very public appearing of Christ. And the whole tribulation period, what did we see? We saw Israel coming back to God, 144,000 Jews. Remember, 12,000 from each tribe. And so the marriage supper of the Lamb has to do with the church. Now we're getting ready to go back to see what God's going to do to fulfill all those promises to Israel. It's all about Christ. It always has been. It always will be. But he's working with different people groups. Now, is one better than the other? No. It's not about that. It's just a different group. God is working with, has been working with the church right now. This is the church age. Now is the time to proclaim the gospel. Have you noticed how blind the Jews are to the gospel? It, listen, if you don't believe me, go to the Seder dinner on, on April 23rd. Go to the Passover dinner. David's back there laughing. There are, I, I, I don't know them all, David knows them, but you, you'll go through these different cups and it's part of the ceremony. One of the cups, some of the bread gets broken and hidden away for three cups. And then they find it and it appears. And you and I are going, oh, like Jesus died and, and was dead and raised on the third day. You mean like that? Oh, no, 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 that's not it. What's that? Okay, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm <laughs> Giving it away. Listen, you gotta go to that. You'll you'll see what I'm talking about. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got excited. I just told you the end of the story. Jesus rises from the dead. Sorry, guys. 
<laughs> if you didn't catch it last Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead, okay, the resurrection. So um, <laughs> anyway, you got to come on this Passover Seder. You'll, you'll be blown away by it. So, so God is going to restore the nation of Israel. He's going to fulfill those promises of Israel. But now is the, the time of the marriage of the Lamb. Now, there are, well, I think there's six Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. What's a Beatitude? Well, Beatitude starts with the word blessed. Blessed are, blessed is the one who. So like Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not stand in the, or sorry, uh, walk in the way of the wicked, stand in the seat of, or stand in the way, or sorry, walk in the way, of the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of blasphemers, scoffers, whatever. Yeah, I don't want to say whatever to God's word. You know what I mean. <laughs> so um, that's a beatitude. It means, that, and the word blessed really means, oh, how happy. Or this extreme jubilation. And isn't that always what we want? We want to be happy. In fact, I've never met a person where I asked, do you want to be happy? They said, absolutely not. Absolutely, I don't want to happy. In fact, our whole lives are devoted to our own happiness, aren't they not? I mean, that's why we make choices, right? We think that something will make us happy, so we make a choice to do that thing. That's why you get a Disneyland pass, because it's the happiest place on earth, right? Mm, maybe not. So the, the whole point is, is that these beatitudes tell us what God's doing. Now, in the book of Revelation, we've, got, we've, we've gone through four of them so far. And I'll, I'll just kind of summarize real quick what those four are. Um, the first one comes in chapter 1, and it's blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That's you and us. You and us. You and me. <laughs> so that's, that's us in this room. Blessed, happy will you be for reading aloud the prophecies of this book, and happy will you be if you hear it and keep what it says, if you're obedient to God's word. The second beatitude comes in uh, chapter 14, verse 13. It says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. That's talking about during the great tribulation period. Happy are going to be those who die in the Lord. Why are they going to be happy to die in the Lord? Well, one, they're done with their labors. They've been living through this terrible tribulation. All these judgments have been happening. They're done laboring. And now they're with the Lord. So blessed are they because God has let them out of that. Um, they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. This is something we say at, uh, usually at benedictions at funerals all the time for believers. It's certainly something that we can say about Eileen. She labored with her cancer. For many times, and we say, blessed, oh, how happy are you, Eileen, because you're resting from your labors. You're no longer laboring with your sickness. You're with the Lord. Everything is good now. We, we grieve. We cry out. We, we, we miss that person. But blessed are they because they knew the Lord. How sad to not know the Lord and die. Then the next blessed, the next beatitude is Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Remember, this is in the middle of judgment. And, is, and all of a sudden, Jesus kind of interrupts what was happening in the judgment to tell you, blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. It's basically saying, 
Blessed are the people reading this prophecy right now who stay ready, who keep their garments on. What garments are we talking about? We're talking about righteousness. Okay. We're, ta we're talking about uncompromising garments. We're talking about garments that please God. Okay. And, and, and so it said, blessed are you when you keep those garments on and you're ready for the Lord. You haven't forgotten the Lord's coming. You haven't succumbed to the pressures of this world, the pressures of the earth, the pressures of the culture. You haven't given in to those things, but you've kept on your righteousness, waiting for the Lord's appearing. Blessed are you because you know what? <laughs> You're not going to be seen naked and exposed like the rest of the world. And then finally, uh, we have this uh, blessed here in chapter 19 this week, and we'll, we'll have two more coming. But happy are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Happier are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, it's an, about an invitation. Happier are those who are invited. And, and it's not just about being invited. It's actually being there. Because we're, we're at this point where we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus is getting ready to open up, split open heaven and come. And that's where next week we'll have the latter part of this revelation. It's the good part. So uh, it's really good. I'm just excited about it. But... But before that, we have this marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. Happy are you if you're invited. If you find yourself there, you are going to be so happy. It's going to be the best decision ever. You're going to be so stoked. It's, it's going to be the ultimate happiness to find yourself at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know why? You're in. You made it. You're with the Lord. There's no more suffering, no more judgment. You're not undergoing all this stuff. You don't have this tedious thing of dealing with sin in your life or any of this stuff. You're done. You're with Jesus. Oh, how happy you'll be. Because the trials and the labors of this life are done. You're with the Lord and you're celebrating. It's you are now married to him. You're part of his bride. Oh, how happy you'll be if you make it. Who's invited? Listen, each and every one of you are invited. Everyone is. The question is, will you accept that invitation? Will you receive it? Now, we can get into theology here and the doctrine of salvation or soteriology, and we can talk about, like, um, Reformed theology and, well, wait a minute, is it work? Well, listen, hold on. I've never gone to a wedding and, and, and talked to the mother of the bride and uh, the mother of the parents of the bride and, and not said thank you for for receiving me and feeding me and allowing me to be a part of their special day. I've never done that. In fact, never once have I gone into a wedding and started changing the decorations and, um, and started changing the food or changing up the menu. Because why? Because it's not my work. I'm, I'm a guest there. The work has been provided. So for me to receive and accept an invitation, that is not a work that you are doing for your salvation. That is... That is an acknowledgement and an acceptance of the work done for you. So when you receive that invitation to a wedding and you go and you eat and you enjoy that dinner or whatever, whatever it is, the, PB and jelly, the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, hey, you know, I'm all for simple weddings. <laughs> That's good stuff. You know, listen, somebody needs to do that in here. Let's have a wedding and have like the ultimate peanut butter and jelly sandwich bar, Okay. <laughs> Plus, me, you'll think, you can say, like, well, we're doing this because pastor said that we should do this, so we, now you can get away cheap. So, <laughs> I'm going to convince my daughters, all four of them, or three of them. I only have three. So <laughs> I was thinking I might have a fourth, but hopefully not. So, uh, 
no, but, but we, don't, we don't see it as our work. We recognize the Lord has done the work. He has done the work, and I'm receiving the invitation. What is that invitation? Well, it's anyone who believes in him, right? Anyone who trusts in him. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. At, at all of this, John sees all this happening, and what does he do? He, he hears this beatitude by an angel, because the angel's showing John this stuff. He's like, blessed is anyone who receives this invitation. Because this is legit. This is really good. You know, this marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and, and you, know, you know the angels are kind of like, this is, this is cool. Because the angels aren't necessarily on the same invitation, right? They're not the bride of Christ. And they're seeing all this and they're, man, I want to be a part of that. And, and so he, they, this beatitude is given. These are the true words of God. And then what does John do? He falls down to worship at the feet of the angel. And the angel's like, no, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant. And actually, there's, there's a little bit of a, a, the translation issue here. Because it seems like in the Greek, the emphasis is, uh, the, the word servant is doulos. And, and it can mean a couple different things. It means servant, but it also means slave or bondservant. And, and the way it's written, it really has more of a leaning or emphasis on, I'm just a fellow slave. I, I, I'm a bondservant to, to the Lord. Don't worship me. The angel, I'm, yeah, listen, I'm, angels are different beings from humans, but they clearly know their place. And he says, worship God. John just gets caught up in all this stuff, you know. And we, don't we do that a lot of times as humans? Don't we get caught up in something and we're like, oh, this is great. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, boy, I'm worshiping a false god here. Uh, <laughs> I'm, oh, I've done that. I screwed that one up. You know, we get caught up in things. And so how do we keep ourselves from being caught up? Well, we know the word of God. That's how we keep ourselves in check and keep ourselves from being caught up in stuff. So the angel admonishes John, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Interesting word. The testimony of Jesus is the, pure, uh, the spirit of prophecy. Do you know what all the prophecy in the Old Testament and New Testament is about Jesus? It's all about Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. God wants you to know Jesus Christ. He wants this whole world to know. He wants you to know Jesus. He wants you to have an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Will you be there on that day? Will you be there with me? Well, you might say, well, I hope I'll be there. No, listen, you can know you'll be there. It's not based on your works. It's based on your trust in Jesus and his work. I hope you'll be there with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we thank you that you've done the work. God, you have purchased us, redeemed us, ransomed us by, on that cross. Lord, I trust in your work, and I trust that on that day, you'll put me there in pure clothes, white linen. I won't be a bride just acting the part. No, Lord, I'll be a bride who, who is the part because of your sacrifice on that cross. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you're coming. We thank you that you are the faithful and true one. Listen, if you're here in this room tonight and you're not sure, you you want to be there, but you're not sure. You just say this prayer, Lord Jesus, I accept for what you've done for me on that cross. I believe in you. I'm ready to follow you. I turn from my sin now. I repent. And I'm ready to follow you. I pray this in your name. Thank you so much. 
Lord, we thank you that salvation belongs to you. Therefore, you have the right to give it. So we ask of you, Lord, and you say that you'll freely give it. So we ask of it. We thank you. Bless our worship now in your name. Amen.